0: Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast, where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. I'm your host, Steve Shear and I am excited for you to hear part two of my conversation with Liz Wiseman, author of many books, including this one that we're focusing on, Impact Players. You want this book. So check the show notes uh, in either episode one or two to get a link to that book. It is worth it. And if you haven't listened to part one, you might want to go back and listen to that. But if you're dropping in on part two, you'll get something from this as well. It is a delightful conversation with her, and it has some practical application for those of us who have a really hard time defining X factor. When you think of someone that's really good at something, they they just have it. That's really what this book is about, defining it factor, X factor, and how to develop that in our people. So here it is, part two, my conversation with Liz Wiseman. There was a part in the book where you talk about the fun, the lightheartedness, but then and I have said in the past that I'm not a courtroom jester, but I definitely have one hand on fun and one hand on getting stuff done. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm like holding the hand on both. Like I I, want to tell jokes, but if I'm just telling jokes, I'm just like, you know, I'm not a comedian. I'm not doing, but we got to get somewhere. So let's, let's have a good time along the way. If, you know, again, if it's appropriate in the mood and that Um, one thing in the book that you, that you talk about is, is uh, how impact players clarify problems. Um, can you talk to, to us about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, it's, it's about figuring out like what fundamentally needs to be done. It's about paying attention to, it's about knowing like what you're trying to get done. And this shows up in a couple of the practices. And Steve, if you, if you meant something different by this, like, just let me know. Sure. Yeah, go for it. But, you know, it's about determining the difference between like the job on the surface versus what like the real job that needs to be done and that's figuring out you know what are people really talking about what does my boss fundamentally want and and this is I think hard for a lot of people because we assume that our bosses know what they want and they're gonna give that to us uh, like in a memo on a platter and more often than not I find you have to ferret that out and figure out okay they're talking about this but what do they really, really want? And often it's being able to pick up on the mumbles. Um, let me talk about my own daughter. She she was in her final year of college when I wrote the book and she did an internship for us and she did a bunch of um, oh, help with me as I'm polishing off the manuscript. And, and she's like, yeah, mom, that's a, that's an okay book. Like it's, it's, It's solid. I think it was my fourth book. So she's like, yeah, it's not bad. And then she graduated from college and went to work. And then about six months, a year into her professional life, I'm hearing her say things like, mom, you know, that book you wrote that impact players book, I'm finding it really helpful. And she's having all these encounters with these decision points. And one of them that she described was, um, so she was uh, part of a, a medical lab team at Stanford, and she's responsible for the MRI studies and, you know, getting the participants in this like um, research study. But then she noticed that her her boss, who's the director of this lab, keeps mumbling about, "Oh man, I don't know why we're not using like virtual reality technology when we do the blood draws, because." Mm-hmm. It's, they were studying adolescent pain. And so the adolescents that were coming in for these studies were people who are really prone to pain, highly sensitive, and the blood draws were scary. But this isn't my daughter's responsibility. And her boss is kind of mentioning it. It's all in passing. And she's like, and, and then my daughter's like, mom, I think what my boss is like, that's the job that needs to be done. It's not my job, but it clearly is. It's important. And so she goes and says, okay, let me go talk to the folks in the phlebotomy, you know, lab-da-da. And she kind of gets the virtual technology thing going. It doesn't put take much effort on her part. And then when her boss finds out, she's like, What? You did that? Like, that's amazing. And mentions it in a staff meeting. Like, this is leadership, this is initiative. Like, I think we're often expecting someone to say, Here's the problem I want you to solve. And I think a good leader would do that. But so much of what leaders are dealing with are things that are emergent and like popping up in the periphery. And the impact players figure those out. Here's a problem that needs to be solved, and I'm going to go attach it. And, you know, before they start a piece of work, you know, we talk about they finish stronger. But part of finishing stronger is to start stronger and make sure you know, like this thing that you just got asked to do, what's meant by that? Like if your boss says, okay, we, we need a, um, a, a research report on ABC, you know, some people will just jump right into that and others will say, Hmm. So what, what would success look like? What you know, who would be using this report and what would we use it for and why are we doing it? And, Um, not necessarily like existential drama about like, Oh, why, why, why are we doing this? But like, help me understand what impact looks like here. And then once that problem is clarified, then boom, they go and do it.
0: A pointed, thoughtful question in those moments is so helpful to me in my role. So I don't have a gigantic team you know it's 17ish you know people that, that I'm responsible for I'm stepping into a new role where I'm taking on a new department um, so it's going to be sales and marketing I need people around me just what you just said I need people around me that are willing to not just do what I'm saying to them hey I think we need to do this they're in it I need them to come back with questions like that that cause me to pause because they're they are you are exactly right there are things that I will miss as the leader, but I'm not doing that intentionally. And I hire people that I, that are better than me in these different areas for a purpose. Don't just do what I'm saying. Do what you think I'm meaning, but ask it. Ask the question, is this what you're going for? Because I think these two, it's it's exactly right. I, I love working with people like that.
1: I, I do too. We'll I've got now. a couple people on my team who just think it through and they always ask me and it's not An hour's worth of questions. It's usually like two or three or four really good questions, and they always hit the mark. And if they don't, they ask another question. Like, okay, well, what do we need to do differently? Um, you know, some people might listen to that and go, "Well, wait a minute, Liz, Steve, like you're all excited about that, but isn't that the boss's job? You know, when they delegate something, aren't they supposed to tell me?" really what they're looking for. And, you know, it is true that I think when bosses are thoughtful about that, um, people can do better work. But the reality is that that is a collaborative process. And here's why I think it serves us to be the person who doesn't just take the remit without asking a few questions is because, you know, I've spent years really understanding what managers do that have a diminishing effect on people. And So many times, I can point to like the micromanagement, the pulling things away from people that end up creating this diminishing dynamic where people shut down, play it safe, you know, do the minimum. It usually starts when a boss has in her head a vision for something, asks somebody to do it, they don't do it right. And so they've, the boss is like, well, okay, then I have to go do this myself. And thus begins a very destructive, deflating, diminishing cycle. And, and it can be solved by just making sure that whoever's doing the work has that same image in their head. It's about transmitting, like, I, I have this image of what success looks like here. And just letting people know, like, here's what it looks like when we're successful. Here's what it looks like when it's done. Um, And so by just asking a few questions and getting that picture in your head, what it is, it is is a buffer against micromanagement.
0: If your organization is entertaining the idea of outsourcing an aspect of your IT environment, go to ccbtechnology.com and figure out how to get it done the most efficient way possible. CCB Technology, we pride ourselves on speaking clearly, and articulating things in layman's terms so that you know that you don't have to be an IT expert because we have the experts on staff at CCB Technology. For over 30 years, we have served nonprofits and for-profit organizations across the nation, providing them with hardware and software and infrastructure IT needs. For the last 12 years, we have been in the top 150 in the nation for outsourced managed IT services. Most of the organizations that you are going to talk to about outsourcing your IT can't say that. Very little organizations that you're going to talk to that do outsourced IT also pride themselves on saving their organizations, uh, their customers money on their product needs. We can do both. CCBTechnology.com for more information. CCBTechnology.com for all your outsourced IT needs. And if you need product, we can take care of that as well. I, um, as you were talking, the image popped in my head or a phrase I heard Simon Sinek say um, a while ago, the picture was, there's this room, there's a bunch of chairs and tables in it. Um, The leaders that we want to follow are the ones that will say, we need to get to the other side of the room. Uh, Watch out for these tables and chairs. Uh, Stay within the confines of this room. These are the rules of of your engagement as far as your job goes. But anything within that room uh, that you need to do, moving things or you know, weave around them, but we got to get to the other side of the room. So let's figure that out. That is a very generalized thing, but just what you just talked about, that gets buy-in from people. Uh, I love it when people do that with me, not that the, my supervisor just leaves a blank slate and says, tell me what we should do. Uh, we set the direction, we set the tone, we give the vision like you were talking about, but that buy-in is just like, well, I don't want to overuse the word. It's multiplied. Um, when people feel like they have a, a specific con- contribution to the end result and the the method on, on how to get there uh, which is exciting um yeah be
1: clear on the what be loose about the how
0: it's good um uh, i've been talking a lot but i, I there's one thing i want to say or ask you about before we before we jump in and for those of you listening you're going to get this book uh just so that you know the first half Um, is uh, part one, excuse me, is called the impact players. Part two is build the impact player mindset. So this is a a fantastic book. It's not just theory. This is practical application. So one question um, coming from chapter seven, which is increase your impact. How would you encapsulate where people should start if they want to increase their impact?
1: Mm. Well, I think that chapter talks about two master skills and 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 they're both very much at the heart of all this behavior that we see differently the first is about seeing opportunity where other people see threat you know the situations that we found the impact players handled differently than others are all situations that involve a lot of ambiguity and uncertainty and some chaos it's the messy stuff it's the stuff where there's not really a playbook and they they tend to move toward the mess. And it's be, not because they, they like it. Like, I don't like any of the messy bits and ambiguity. I like clarity. I like certainty. But they're willing to go into it because they see it as an opportunity. Like, you know what? This is not really my job, but it's something that's important. This is an opportunity for me to demonstrate value. Um, And to be useful. Uh, You know what? Roles are unclear. I can't figure out who's in charge. Well, you know what? If I step up and offer to lead, this is a chance for me to provide leadership, show people what I can do. Like, uh, this is a big problem that just dropped in our path. Uh, Yeah, you could see this is like, this is threatening my success. Well, actually, this is an opportunity for us to completely rethink it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, each one of these situations can be reinterpreted as an opportunity. And it's not that it's looking at it through rose colored glasses, not like, oh, this is good, because most of these situations are I'm kind of bad, negative. Like they do involve threat. But if you want to be increase your impact and be an impact player on the team, it's every time you encounter one of these messy bits, is just throw on the opportunity goggles and say, okay, I get it that it sucks but how is this an opportunity to do, you know, whatever it is that the team is trying to do or you're trying to do? That's one. The second is the art of perspective taking. And it's the ability to see things not through our own lens, but to kind of get up from our seat and look at the room from another angle. Like go look at the the match, you know, not from the 50 yard line, go look at it from the end zone. I'm always fascinated by people who go to sporting events that are absolutely sure that they saw like the penalty, the the foul. And I'm like, well, you know, it depends a lot on what perspective you're looking at it. And of course, refs get these wrong because they only are seeing it through one perspective, but then they show the replay and they're like, okay, now through the advantage of multi cameras, we can actually see what's going on and make the right call. The impact players tend to get up from their own seat and look at situations from a multi you know um view vantage point so you know they're practiced in the art of perspective taking of like hmm I wonder what the situation looks like to my colleagues I wonder how the other department is dealing with this I wonder what's on my boss's plate right now I wonder one of my favorites was a, a guy named Evan hung at Target. His boss, Eileen, said he would ask her questions like, what do you talk about in your one-on-ones with your boss? I think this is an amazing question. It's not, well, here's my job and boss, this is what I need from you so I can do my job. It's understanding your boss's job and then what's important to your boss's boss. And then you're now clear, but it's, it's saying like, what does it look like from your point of view? Where is there pain that I'm not seeing? And then going in and relieving that pain. But, and I think it's a skill that we are in a, in grave need of
0: Yes. right yes. now
1: on so many fronts. And it's one of the things that impact players do well. What does it look like to somebody else?
0: Two attributes that I hear you talking about uh, are humility and curiosity and, um, those are so attractive to me. <laughs> um, being humble doesn't mean you're a doormat and being curious doesn't mean you never f- arrive at answers. Uh, but acting as if we have the answers without actually, uh, that would probably keep us from wanting to understand what somebody else's perspective is.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, and I yeah. think, I think Steve, it was, it's kind of what's at the root of that, um, two-star hated it Amazon review that I keep mentioning, not that it bothers me or anything, but, you know, as I look at that person's perspective, like I can see why they're very bothered by this, but I think what they're not seeing is this chain reaction because kind of the essence of their review was, okay, I hated this book. I was made to read it, but the book talks about people who sacrifice self for teen and it's not that like they 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 put themselves on some sacrificial altar it's that they're putting the team's agenda ahead of their own personal agenda and i can see why this person is bothered which is like hey that's like a recipe for getting taken advantage of getting sidelined um exploited you know but there's a chain reaction, and, and it's everything that you just said, Steve. It's when we approach our work with some humility and curiosity and pr- figure out what's important to other people and make it important to us. Most of the time, those people don't get taken advantage of. They get handed the ball in the moments that matter, and their agenda starts to come to the forefront. Um, see, let me share just a a. a I think a story that illustrates this, and this is a little personal one, is in addition to you know the work I do, um, you know I've got some uh, fun and significant volunteer work, and one of them is uh, for six years I taught an early morning theology class, and I taught it with my um, friend uh, and colleague, um, not a work colleague, uh, someone from our our church, um, Eric. And when we start and this 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 assignment involves a little bit of hardship because it's a theology class. For high school students at 630 in the morning.
0: And it's, <laughs> it's stacked against you. That-
1: it's, so we're so stacked against it. It is like, they're like coming in dead and yeah. you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard and it's not once and it's not one day a week. It's Monday through Friday for all four years that they're in high school. So the kids who sign up for this. So it's just this brutal thing. He and I are going to do this together, sharing that load. When we started it, um, we sat down. I'm like, Eric, what's important to you as we do this? And, you know, we were just signing up for the first year and, and, you know, he starts to tell me some things that are important to me, top of his list. He said, you know, what's important to me is that we start class on time, which of course is really hard to do at 6.30 in the morning. And he said, and it's important to me that we wear kind of like our best, like Sunday best, professional best so that we don't roll in in like sweatpants that we are like, you know, suit and tie kind of thing. And I'm listening to him thinking, wow, if I made a list of the hundred things that are important to me in this situation, those aren't on the list of a hundred. And then I decide, wait a minute, he just said, these were the two most important things to him. I'm going to be partnering with him we're in this hardship assignment. I'm like, you know what? If those are important to Eric, I'm going to make them important to me. And so I did, you know, every day, you know, showing up, dressed well, um, starting on time, making those things important to me. And then they became more important to me. But here's the point of, of my little story is Every single time I had an idea of like, hey, Eric, why don't we do this? And I'm like, hey, Eric, why don't we do a dunk tank where the students can like dunk the teachers at the end of the year and quiz us? And why don't we do this and that? And every harebrained idea I had about making it fun and interesting and meaningful, his response always, Liz, that's a great idea. Let's do it. When I found what was important to him and made it important to me, like the things that were important to me just became important to him. And we ended up teaching together for six years doing this. And I see this at play in the workplace. Like when well, we can figure out what's important to our stakeholders, our clients, our bosses, our colleagues, and elevate that on our own agenda. Like our agenda doesn't get trampled. Like our personal agenda finds its way into the team agenda. Now, there's there are some exceptions to that that leaders should be aware of, but That's what I think I wanted that one person or the people who say like, I don't want to like be passionate about the corporate agenda. I want someone to care about my passions. They will if you get the order right.
0: So good. I, I have so many other questions that I want to ask you just even in regard to that class you taught, I'm learning more about you, which, which again, makes it feel like, you know, we're friends or something. Uh, Well, I guess I should ask, are we best friends?
1: Well, I don't, I think best friends is a little much. Yeah, that's probably too
0: forward. I was
1: going to say, I think we're friends. But then when you said best friends, I'm like, I don't know. I can't just throw out my best friends like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. So we got to work our way there. But you know, what I took from this is that we're friends. So there we go. Um, I have two last questions for you before we wrap up. And and I I don't, I mean this from the heart. I thank you so much for taking time. The people that are going to listen to this are going to get value from it. The people that buy your book are going to get value from it. We exist. The Impact of Leadership podcast exists to equip, connect, and grow leaders while having fun. That's our whole thing. And you just—you just nailed that. Uh, to equip, connect, and grow leaders while having fun. We, we take our, what we do seriously, but it's so much more than just productivity. There are humans behind the stuff, and there's families behind the profit and loss. So thank you for reminding us of that and how we can have a a greater impact on our people. So the two questions uh, that I have for you, first of all, is what should I have asked you that I didn't?
1: Oh, I don't know. I thought your questions were interesting and good questions. Um, Maybe if there was a a point that I would want to make, it would be like, maybe the question would be, so Liz, are you saying people have to work harder? Like Kobe Bryant going down to the gym at five in the morning? Is this about doing more? And you know, I, I have to admit that you know most of the impact players we studied—they were not slouches. They weren't people who you know were cutting corners. But their impact did not come from working harder or from workism or from exhaustion. That it came from working in a very different way pointing themselves towards different kinds of problems. Um, So it's not about working harder. And I'm not sure it's about working smart. It's not about being more productive. It's about keeping your eyes on the right things. And I think it's easy to assume that people burn out because they're working too hard. But everything I've learned is that we tend to burn out because we have a lack of impact. And so it's not about working more. It's about getting the exhilaration the fun, the thrill out of the work that we do. And that's what I think creates real impact.
0: Love it. Oh, it's so good. The second question that I had, you basically just answered, but if there's anything else kind of wide open, what encouragement uh, would you want to leave the listeners with as we as we finish here?
1: You know, it's, I think it's about what we want out of work. And I, I I think it would be just a reminder that, again, what I see over and over is that people... Want to do work that is meaningful. They want to have an impact. They want to contribute not a little of their capability, but a lot of their capability. So if you are stuck in a role where you feel like you're turning a crank where work is exhausting and tiring, don't take your foot off the accelerator. Like you might find that the burnout and resentment and frustration, exhaustion like increases. Like it's about contributing everything you have is the way to get that thrill that comes from work. So like, remember, like when you are maybe in a situation where like my boss doesn't deserve anything better than what I'm giving, like that's not going to serve you well. Like it, it will crush your soul. Um, and then I think if you're in a leadership role and you've got some people who look like they're half-hearted, maybe in this ordinary contributor mode, just to remind yourself that that person doesn't want to be doing what they're doing. They, they really want to contribute everything they have. And what I have found is that when leaders can create an environment where that, where they can give people enough safety, but also enough stretch, that people will step up and play bigger.
0: I love it. I really do. This is, we spend so much of our lives at work. And your your advice, your book, your research points us to an optimistic outcome for the time that we spend at work. Um, but we got to keep our eyes on the right thing. So thank you, Liz, for taking the time uh, to be here. Uh, I love this conversation, and uh, I'm sure there's going to be a bunch more people that will be leaving you great reviews on Amazon. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: no, this isn't begging for that. I just <laughs> I
0: know it's not. It's me. I'm I'm half joking. Uh, but thank you again for for doing this.
1: My pleasure.
0: Well, I trust that you enjoyed part two of my conversation with Liz Wiseman, my friend, as you heard. Liz Wiseman. She said it. She said I might have I put her on the spot with that. But you know what? She said it. So I'll take it. Uh, takeaways and action items. First of all, takeaways. It is possible to identify, articulate, and define what an impact player is. You just have to put in some time and effort and maybe listen to this again or get that book. Action item. Get her book. Get her books. She's fantastic. Go to the show notes and click on those links and get those books. Another action item. Action item number two. Ask better questions. If you are someone who is interested In being an impact player or having a greater impact, ask your boss those questions that that Liz went over. One of them, for example, is, hey, what do you talk about in your meetings with your boss? Gain perspective through exercising curiosity. Every problem is an opportunity. Where there's ambiguity, there's an opportunity for clarity. When you're wondering who's in charge, there's an opportunity for figuring it out. I loved that conversation with Liz. If you are interested, you could check out the other 130 plus episodes that we have in our podcast library. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would greatly appreciate you sending it to someone with a note of encouragement. Either way, we're glad you're here and that you're celebrating the start of a fantastic 2024 with us at the Impact of Leadership. If you rate or review in whatever podcast app that you're in, we read all of those. It builds us up, it builds up our credibility, and it also spreads the word through the black magic of algorithms and whatever else. If you're interested in reading some stuff, we've got over 80 blogs on our website, theimpactofleadership.com, so impactofleadership.com, and then you can find the blogs under community resources. Well, we are grateful that you took time to be with us, and until we are together again, we hope you have a fantastic week or two. From all of us at The Impact of Leadership, thanks for listening.